The JMF Advisors Show is a podcast for business owners, C-suite executives, and entrepreneurs who are looking to build, grow, or even exit a business. We bring in some of our best financial advisors to interview experts on business best practices, hot topics, and sprinkle in some tax and accounting help. If you're a business owner, startup founder, CFO, or just starting your side hustle, this podcast is for you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the JMF Advisors Show. I'm Kim Smith, and I'm a tax shareholder at Jameson Money Farmer PC in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And today I'm joined with Lauren Roberts. Hi, Kim. My friend and tax manager at JMF. And Lauren is our resident individual income tax expert. Um, And she also is excellent with uh, IRS and state notices. So we're going to touch on that a little bit today. So I'm pretty pumped for this uh, episode because we are relatively new to podcasting. And so our team would have our podcast brainstorming sessions about all the exciting topics that all the exciting accounting topics. topics. That's <laughs> right. There's an important accounting. It's oxymoron, yes. exciting accounting topics, yes. right, um, that we want to listen to. And uh, Lauren, you threw out one. Why don't you tell people what this topic is today? Um, I threw out worst tax mistakes, but I understand <laughs> we're amending it. But I had several in mind that I thought we should hit on. Yeah. Well, and I think this kind of comes from... Uh, court cases that we read about mm-hmm. or from our own experiences with clients or from articles or even you see people who uh, post these questions on mm-hmm. message boards. I mean, sometimes when you're Googling something, you run across that and you're like, mm, that's not the right, right. answer. <laughs> so, um, so I like to, I prefer instead of worst client mistakes, that kind of gives a connotation that it's not fixable. It just it's a mistake just because it, it, it's making you pay more tax than what you should pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of prefer to call them client bloopers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of seems a little nice. Yeah. Um, so why don't you kick us? I think what we're going to do today is do a little tag team. And so Lauren's got her list of client right. bloopers and I've got my list of client bloopers. So we're just going to kind of go through that list. Hopefully you don't haven't done one of these. Um, but if you're contemplating doing something on this list, maybe this podcast will help you not to do it. So what 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 are some of your first ones? My first is a very common one I see, and that's employment tax issues. So at when you're an employee, you fill out a W-4, and yep. that tells you how much income tax you're going to withhold from your paycheck. And we have a new W-4 lately, and it's slowly circulating. So we can still use the old W-4, a lot oh. of employers. But if you get a new job, you'll fill out a new one. Sometimes your employer requires you to fill one out every year, so you switch to the new one. Or sometimes an employer's like, it's time, let's use the new W-4, have everybody refill it out sort of thing. So it's been trickling in this issue of um, withholding tax being a problem. Well, I can't tell you how many times I get a text from a family member Mm -hmm. that says, uh, hey, Aunt Kim, (laughs) I don't know how to fill out this W-4 form. So do you have a hint of, and, and you know, I don't know what their tax return looks like. I just right. kind of have to assume. And and I'll always ask them, okay, what kind of person are you? Do you want to get a refund? Do you want, uh, do you want to just break even? Or right. do you want to, you don't mind owing at the end of the year? So what are some helpful guidelines for people to fill out this form? Okay. So when you fill out the form, you 
even I looking at it, I don't know what's going to be withheld. Yeah. So it's important to, there's, the IRS has its an income tax calculator that will walk you through and it'll oh. suggest how to fill it out. Is that at their website? It's at their website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just Google income tax calculator IRS, it'll pop up and it'll walk you through steps how to fill it out. And that's right. very helpful. Or if, or, or if you don't want to do that, reach out to your tax professional and we can help you. Or your aunt. Right. <laughs> right. Free is always good sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you want to, and you also want to monitor. If you fill this out and you want, you got to look at your pay stub because, yes. you know, as your accountant, I don't see your pay stub. Right. I don't know if it's correct until the end of the year when I have to be like, oh, Oof. ouch. Yeah. Right. And And a lot of times, sometimes it is too much and it's nice to get a refund, but most likely it is too little. And sometimes, especially with this W-4, um, it comes up short, the new W-4. So you want to, it's very important to monitor your income tax withholding and look at your pay stub and look at, look at it's right. And if you have no clue, you know, reach out to somebody or do that income tax calculator online. Yeah. And, and people need to realize too, you know, people are human. Right. Your controller or the person who's your payroll clerk, they're human. And maybe they didn't input your your choices correctly. Right. So it's always important to look at your pay stub. I mean, you should look at every pay stub. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's important if you have a change in salary or sometimes if there's no change and all of a sudden you're getting like yeah. a bigger check, <laughs> you should, you should, that yeah. should trigger something in your mind that, hey, maybe this withholding is changing and it's not going to be enough. So it's very important to, to monitor that. And also on the flip side, for self-employed people, yeah. it's important, important for them to keep up with their income tax. And not only, you know, they don't have an employer withholding tax. And it's usually a shock because not only do you owe income tax, you owe self-employment taxes, which is FICA, which is your Social Security and Medicare. Which is 15.2, Yes, 15.3%. that's a lot. So on top of your income tax withholding, you're also going to have to pay 15.3%. When you're an employee, you have um, your employer pays half of that, you know, 7.65%. But when you're self-employed, you have to pay both halves. So it is quite a shock. So if you're a young person, you know, you have your first gig job or if your employer, you know, is just handing you a check every day yeah. and there's no pay stuff yeah. and you think you're an employee, it's possible they're going to 1099 you. So it's very important to understand um, if you're an employee or if you're self-employed and then also if you're self-employed. You're going to be shocked by how much tax you owe. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Because if we have someone who's in a, a new independent contractor that mm-hmm. receives a 1099 at the end of the year, before we get to the end of the year, I think a, let's give them a good rule of thumb for how much they should, let's say they have a, they've got a really good handle on how much money they're getting monthly. Mm-hmm. And let's say that they're getting these people are very uh, successful in their first year and they're getting mm-hmm. 20000 a week, with a, a month with very little deductions. Mm-hmm. A good rule of thumb for them to just stick back in a separate account would be the 15.3%, mm-hmm. right? Plus their income tax bracket. So, so it could have be anything from... 21% or, or 15% up to right. 35, depending mm-hmm. on what their and income is. And don't forget, is. if you're an Alabama resident, 5% right. state tax. Um, so it's important to monitor it. And you also need to be paying those estimated tax payments quarterly. Right. Um, and that helps you keep up with it through the year 
so when it comes to the end of the tax time, you don't owe, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Yes, we don't like telling people that. No, we don't. At all. Yeah. Any other little uh, bloopers, as we're calling them, for individuals that, you know, we'll, we'll just apply to individuals? Um, well, keeping in line with employment tax, you know, make sure you're taking advantage of employer benefits like um, dependent care, running $5,000 through your cafeteria plan. What or, does that do for you? Okay, so what that does is if you have a child in daycare, mm -hmm. um, you can put $5,000 pre-tax um, towards that, to pay towards that. And the savings is there is a dependent care credit on your tax return, but it does not come close to the tax savings of running it through your cafeteria plan because not only is it escaping income tax, it's also escaping your um, Social Security and Medicare tax. So that's the added benefit thing. Okay. So if you are if you have at least $5,000 mm -hmm. in dependent care, mm -hmm. uh, child care expenses mm -hmm. at a daycare, mm -hmm. then running it through your paycheck is going to save you 7.65%. Mm -hmm. Correct. Plus your income tax. Right. Withholding. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be far more over a course of a year right. than your the credit. Uh, the credit that you get for child daycare expenses. Right. Mm -hmm. The credit's not much. It's and pretty lousy. You can you can phase out of it. You well, you can't. Um, but it does it's limited, so it does get down to very small amounts. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. If your income's over like forty thousand dollars, it whittles down to not Nothing. much at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then also pre tax, you know, your flexible spending account for mm -hmm. if you know you need new glasses or you're going to have to have dental work or that sort of thing. Or you have just recurring monthly medical well, expenses. Yeah, like your prescriptions. You want to yeah. run that through pre-tax and then that saves you income tax and again, Social Security and Medicare tax. Awesome. And also don't miss out on your employer match on retirement. That's also, you don't want to leave money on the table. So Kim, now that I've been focusing on individuals, do you have any business bloopers you want to talk about? Well, I think this one is a business blooper and a individual blooper because I can't tell you how many times, you know, we were talking about those uh, message boards and I love it when I have an internet accountant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or <clears throat> the other thing is somebody, you know, I'll have people come in that says somebody told me and I'm like, I wish I could find that somebody <laughs> right? because they were incorrect. But, um, you know, I have clients who will sell property. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of, a lot of landowners, yeah. real estate owners as clients. And sometimes they'll come in and say, Hey, I sold, I'm going to call it raw land. I, I sold this raw land this year. And I had a gain on it, but but you don't need to report it on my return mm -hmm. because I did a lot kind exchange and I bought, I took all these proceeds from this sale of property and I bought a new piece of property. Right. And so I look at the closing. You reinvested it. He's reinvested yourself. it. And that's what the <laughs> internet told me that I mm -hmm. could do a lot kind exchange. Mm -hmm. And so you look at it and... You know, to have a qualified like kind exchange, you have to use what's called a qualified intermediary, intermediary, mm -hmm. and you cannot receive the cash proceeds from the sale of that land. So in other words, you can't receive the cash proceeds and then take that cash and yourself, put it in the bank and then write a check for this new piece right. of land. And so then you have to tell them, no. <laughs> Since you didn't use that qualified intermediary, you're going to owe tax on that gain. Right. And now their cash is gone. Right. So, so what they, so what they should do, and you're right, they should, they should get a qualified intermediary, make sure that they hold those proceeds. And then you have, uh, 
a certain amount of time to identify your new property mm -hmm. and reinvest it in like it property. In other words, raw land for raw land, timberland for timberland, right. apartment for apartment, or, mm -hmm. or or rental for rental. Right. Um, but it's very important that you cannot get that cash. Right. I can't touch that cash. No. Um. It has to be a qualified right. intermediary. And that intermediary is not going to take your money. It's, no. it's available to help you purchase that new piece of um, property, that new investment, that like kind property that you've bought. But you just can't receive that cash yourself and do it yourself. Right. And so then they end up, they've spent their cash and they owe tax on this gain that they were hoping to roll into that new property. In other words... If, if they sold a piece of property for a $100,000 gain and they bought a, a new piece of property for 100000 mm -hmm. then their basis in that new property is zero. Mm -hmm. And then when they sold that property, then they would recognize a gain. Right. You know, the IRS or, or, or Congress keeps wanting to get rid of these like-kind exchanges. And they did remove uh, like-kind exchanges for personal property. Right. It's more prohibitive now. It really yes. has to be investment or business property, right? right. It can't be personal use. That's correct. Well, it can't mm -hmm. be tangible personal property. Oh, right. No no longer tangible right. property. It has to be real property like right. land or buildings, right? Right. You can't sell you can't sell a um automobile and roll that gain into mm -hmm. your new automobile. You're going to have to recognize that gain on that automobile at the time of sale. So, internet sleuthing is great, but always run it by your tax right. professional. Yes. <laughs> like kind of exchanges a lot of you know, you save taxes, but there's a lot of strict rules we have to exactly. follow to be able to do it. Yep. Yep. And also you could run into a cash flow problem if you've taken that cash and put it in another property. That's then exactly you don't right. have the cash to pay the tax because you didn't follow the correct um, criteria to right. do a like kind of change. Yes. And then we have to tell you that. And it's, it's not a, fun. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, exactly. So I wanted to move more toward, and I think on your list, you've got some retirement bloopers. Yes. Yeah. So I, first I touched employment. Now I want to talk about some retirement bloopers. And this is the worst tax mistake that came, comes to my mind. I still think about these people. Um, cashing out a 401k. Um, so these were not clients. They did this on their own, but they were close friends to clients, and that's how they came to us. Yeah. But um, this is something we really could not help with once you do it. It's it's done. So the 401k, they had really nice 401ks, husband and wife, and they decided to cash them out, and they were going to pay off their mortgage. Ugh. So Ooh. What we need to talk about here is our tax brackets are progressive, right? Yeah. So a lot of people get confused and we say, oh, you're in the 24% tax bracket. Not every single dollar is in the 24%. You know, you go through from 10 to 20 in the 20s and then to the 30s with the highest being 37%. So this cashing out got them up in that 37% bracket. Ooh. So just immediately it wipes out a huge chunk of their funds with taxes and they didn't know it. So they put the money to pay off the mortgage and then they didn't have the money to pay off the taxes, which mm. you just don't want to do anything like that. And then another perspective is, you know, talk to an advisor or a tax professional. Did it make sense to do that in the first place? You know, yeah. at the time the stock market was booming and you could have maybe had an 8% return and you're paying off a right. mortgage rate that's only 3 or 4%. It just didn't make a lot of sense. Or if it does make sense, plan it out through a series of years where you stay in reasonable tax brackets and you're not getting that huge tax hit. And um, it see, was just, it's cringy. I still think about it. I hate it for them. And, and I also see young people or younger people 
who have maybe worked at a job for five years mm-hmm. and they're they're planning on leaving it and they they cash out their 401k instead of rolling their mm-hmm. 401k to a new plan. Again, this is a scenario like the like kind of change. You can't touch those funds. No. It has to be a trustee to trustee transfer. Yeah, and they cash it out and then they they don't realize, you know, they're in their twenties or you know, mm-hmm. late twenties, early thirties. And there's a 10% penalty on top of... Right, the ta- income tax. The income tax. Mm-hmm. And so you really want to avoid that penalty if at all possible. Right. There there are certain things, like if you're, if you're buying your first home or if you have medical expenses, you could um, get out of that 10% penalty, but... I think there was a COVID. Yes, there was a COVID. Yeah. Um, there was, but it's kind of rare. So you want to make sure to watch out for that because 10% hit in addition to income tax is a lot of money and it's not advisable. Well, it's a waste. Right. Exactly. It's just, it's just that money has gone. It's just a penalty and it's gone. And with retirement things, they don't let you put it back in or mm-hmm. there's no you fixing can't say that. whoops. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And another thing is, is required minimum distributions. So if you have a traditional IRA and now the age is you have to start taking required minimum distributions at 72, it used to be 70 and a half. Um, you're required to take a certain amount. It's a calculation. But if you miss it, there's a 50% penalty. That's 5 percent. It's huge. <laughs> and sometimes we can get it abated. Um, sometimes we can do the first time offender penalty abatement. Yeah. And sometimes it is if you have reasonable cause like dementia or Alzheimer's memory issues, yeah. you can get out of it. But you really got to watch your required minimum distributions. Well, and, you know, if you've got a lower um, value IRA account, mm-hmm. I think a lot of... Um, and I, could, I hope I'm not talking out of turn, but I think a lot of lower value, like a lot of the brokerage houses have gone to totally online. Mm-hmm. And so I know I had this happen. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that you can request your RMD is like to go in online and select it and hit OK. And I think there's probably an automated feature right. or whatever, but yeah. I mean, you know, some older individuals aren't savvy at tech issues. And so they may not even realize, you know, they may have to call them on the phone to get it set up or something like that. And so if you, you know, if you've got a granny (laughs) that should be taking RMDs, you may just want to inquire if she's been, if she has that set up properly. Mm -hmm. And and we try to send a letter to our clients to Mm -hmm. remind them when they reach that age 72 that that they need to start taking those mm-hmm. distributions. It can be missed for sure. Yeah. And I want to, I know this is kind of a planning idea and not a blooper, mm-hmm. but it could be a blooper if you don't do it the right way. Can you talk a little bit about QCDs? Um, qualified charitable distribution? Yes, those are great. So now with our new um, Since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, yep. a lot of people can take the standard deduction and not itemize. So you don't get the benefit if you're a charitable person a lot of times, unless your itemized deductions reach a certain amount, which for individuals, you know, we're like 12500 and may filing jointly 25000 that's a lot of money. You're not going to get the benefit because you're taking the standard deduction. But you can do a qualified charitable distribution where you say um, to the investment provider who has the retirement plan, I want to give $5,000 to United Way or somewhere. So they have to cut the check directly or transfer the funds directly to the charitable organization. And then you don't get the deduction on your Schedule A itemized deductions. 
it directly reduces your retirement income. Which is even better. Which is even better, yes. And, and also it lowers your income for any other important things like the stimulus payments or um, even calculation of your Medicare premiums, that sort of thing. Right. So sometimes it's good to get your income down, even if even not alone the benefit of not getting to take the standard deduction and reducing your income, but it can have other effects with credits and things like that. Yeah, the key blooper possibility right there would be um, if someone internet loose yeah. <laughs> and thinks that they can do a QCD by taking their RMD out and then mm -hmm. making a charitable contribution. So right. the key there is, once again, you can't get that yeah, money you in your hand. You can't touch it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. They have to, they being the uh, investment advisor, has to has to make that mm -hmm. uh, charitable contribution out for of that you. account for you. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing. And another thing on this topic is um, state taxes. Yes. That's you where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> but Kim loves state tax issues. She, she's our um, salt state and local tax expert. So a lot of things I've seen recently, well, Alabama, first of all, is pretty tax-friendly when yes, it comes to retirement. Absolutely. They do not um, tax defined benefit plans. And if you're a state or government employee, they don't tax those retirement funds either. So like if you're RSA, Retirement Systems of Alabama, um, that's not taxable when you retire on your Alabama tax return. Right. But if you move to a state like I'm not sure. Well, I know what it is. Asheville, North Carolina. It's a cool <laughs> place to be. For some reason, we've had several taxpayers move to North Carolina, and they, they're they going to tax their RSA state benefits. Um, and they have, I think it's a higher than Alabama tax rate. So you want to think about those things. You know, yes, you love that place, but do you love it to lose, you know, six and a half percent of your retirement income? Yes. Year? And I would be remiss if I did not interject some state and local yes. planning and domicile issues. Mm -hmm. Let's say that uh, someone is in Asheville, North Carolina, and they mm -hmm. hear about this really good deal that Alabama has, and they just love our beaches because who does not love our beaches, right? <laughs> and so they decide that they're going to move from Asheville, North Carolina down to Gulf Shores. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but they think they, they're going to keep their house up in Nashville, Asheville, North Carolina mm -hmm. because they're only going to move move for tax purposes mm -hmm. you can't just move for tax purposes and it work and i right. believe we have an article that uh i authored on our um website that talks about m changing your domicile mm -hmm. so if you're if you're not in alabama and listening to this podcast mm -hmm. if you were moving from Asheville, north carolina you would need to physically abandon your domicile in north carolina move to Gulf Shores and establish a new one, which means um, there's like a court case. There are court cases that give this long list of of what it means to change your domicile. And some of that would be, um, well, first of all, you're abandoning that, mm -hmm. that house. And so you would want to make sure that you uh, change your voter registration, your car registration. You'd want to not have a whole lot of ties. You change your church. You change your driver's license. Mm -hmm. You, um, the court would, if it's ever tested, Alabama or North Carolina would mm -hmm. want to make sure that you had no intention of returning to North Carolina. Right. Um, 
And so I just wanted to mention that because you just can't fly down to Gulf Shores for a few months and then go back home and then be taxed as an Alabama resident. Right. Mm -hmm. And that homestead exemption. Yeah. The property you're taking, the homestead exemption, um, they'll look at that. Yeah. And Alabama, I think all states, but Alabama is kind of aggressive about that. So you don't want to um, think you can just pull one over on them. Yeah. Um, you might have a rude tax. Um. But the benefit there could be, if you do it right, you do it correctly, that you could um, save money on your retirement withdrawals. Because mm-hmm. let's say that it was uh, two teachers that lived in North Carolina. They came and they have a governmental, I mean, a government pension plan. Uh, I don't know offhand what North Carolina's state tax rate is. I remember it being higher, yeah, higher than Alabama. Seven to 9%, I would think. Higher than 5% for sure. Yeah, for higher than 5%. So y- your savings could be. Yeah, you that's know, a, a good bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something when you're living on a fixed retirement income, you want to look at that. And we'll, uh, we're, we're, we'll take our money from the Alabama travel and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. organization for promoting exactly. the moving yes. to Alabama, yes. right? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. Well, I'm just going to move back to the business area. Okay. We'll finish with retirement yeah, for a few minutes. Um, I uh, always have, we always hear of clients who uh, start a new enterprise and they start a new business and they, they don't tell us about it mm-hmm. until at, at the end of the year, they'll go, well, I started this new LLC and you're like, mm. there are things that need to be done when you start a new business. And most notably is the business privilege tax right. initial return. Now that's going to be important for the next two years. And after that, we don't have to pay that minimum fee anymore. Really? Yes. They're phasing that wow. out. So, but for now, you know, just know if you, if you start a new business or if you dissolve a current business. Yeah, I've learned that the hard way. Yeah, I've learned that the hard <laughs> way. There's a return due two and a half months, so it was two months and 15 days after mm-hmm. the date you dissolve. It, you don't wait until the end of the year and file that on the normal business due date. So you, there are just things that, that happen when you start a new business in an entity or you dissolve a business that you kind of need to get with your tax advisor about yes. or your attorney just to mm-hmm. make sure you've got all of your T's crossed and your I's dotted. Right. Yes. I've run into clients that said that they closed their business, so we didn't file the business privilege tax return. And sometimes states or even the IRS will take a few years to get to you. Yes, so that's right. you've got several years of <laughs> owing that tax. So I've learned to go on the Secretary of State website because you have to legally close a business through, and it has to be filed with, you know, Alabama by December 31st. Secretary of State by December 31st. So I go on there and I see if it's dissolved or, right. you know, whatever term they use to make sure it's closed because that's something I've learned the hard way. Okay, yeah. we're going to move back to individual bloopers now. Yes. And this one's sad, too. All of these yeah. bloopers are well, sad. There's no happy bloopers. I don't, I don't know how this one turned out. So <laughs> this next section I'd call like unusual, unexpected, you know, out of the ordinary income. Anytime you get lots of unexpected income. Which we like that. Yes. It's unexpected inc- You know, it's good. incredible. <laughs> um, you know, um, distant aunt dies and leaves you well, her that's inheritance. Sad. That's sad. <laughs> But, you know, they, yeah. she's left you everything or something. You need to know what the tax implications is of that money because a lot of people, the, the impulse is, let me spend that yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you may have a big tax bill you don't know, so it's important. So my, my scenario, and I'll explain, we don't know how it turns out, but we had these new clients come in and I was, you know, I was assisting a shareholder with it. So I was pretty young and they, their business 
had a catastrophe. I mean, it was out of their control. They lost yeah. everything. Oh, that's sad. It was, it was a very sad story. Um, but they had some insurance. And this particular insurance, so we discussed a little bit, and then they came back in, and they were like, we got like, I think it was close to a million dollars. And what the insurance plan was, was to cover lost income. So it was business interruption insurance. Right. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. So, you know, sometimes insurance proceeds is not taxable. That's like right. if you have a beach house and a hurricane hits and you get funds, you're supposed to reinvest those funds in the property. And that, that way it's not taxable. But with business interruption insurance, this is replacing income. So you report it as income. Right. It is, it is, it is actually insurance and it's based on your earnings in the prior past. You have to like provide mm -hmm. information to the insurance to be able to get it. And we saw some of this during um, the horrible tornado. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, since it's re it's a replacement of income, it's just like if you had a lawsuit where you received uh, a settlement that was in replace of your income, mm -hmm. supplement to your income, anything that's replacing income is going to be income. Right. Subject to income tax. Tax, right. So they they come in and they say they've got all this money and then they go into everything they bought. They bought businesses. Oh, wow. They bought cars. And so me and the shareholder kind of look at each other and our eyes get big and we look at them and we're like, stop spending. We need to see what your tax liability is related to this income. So, you know, the meeting ends and a couple days later, I have um, the receptionist call and say, they're here to pick up their tax stuff. I was like, Oops. they did not like our answers. So I'm not sure how that played out, you know, if they didn't report it or what. But it is important when you get unexpected income. There may be tax implications, and it's important yeah, to figure I mean, out what that is. That's, that's the lottery. Right. That's insurance. That's uh, inheritance. Not necessarily, uh, not inheritance when it comes to life insurance, but right. inherited IRAs are... Right are big because you have to take those out and there are specific rules with how much you have to take out over a certain amount right. of time. Right. Mm -hmm. You have a certain amount of time and those rules change often. That yes. was a recent change. Um, you have to get it out in so many years. Um, you can't spread it over anymore. And also sometimes it looks like life insurance, but it's a taxable annuity. I had yeah. a client that they thought they got life insurance, but then they got a 1099 at the end of the year and that was, you know, it was a taxable annuity they had to pay tax on. Um, and another thing is um, settlements from lawsuits. Yes. You know, sometimes those are taxable, sometimes they're not. So it's really important when you get unexpected funds, as good as it is, let's figure out what tax you owe before you yeah, spend it Yeah, and all. when it comes to lawsuit settlements, uh, some are taxable, some aren't. And it also depends on which circuit court district you're in, whether or not some of them are going to be taxable or not. So you mm -hmm. really need someone to look at those. The last, you know, I used to work for the revenue department mm -hmm. and the last, uh, the push me out of <laughs> doing this for a living and, and wear the white hat came when we had a project with the IRS, with these people who received insurance proceeds mm -hmm. and it was a, a lower socioeconomic class of mm -hmm. individuals. It was heartbreaking yeah. because these people would send and, 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 and the IRS received this information via third party. So they had all this information from a, a third-party subpoena. So they had all this information regarding insurance settlements. And we had to go tell these people, mm -hmm. okay, sure you got that money yeah. three years ago, mm -hmm. but now you're going to owe half of it back, right? right? When, you, when you consider federal and state. Oh, yeah. And they didn't have any of it. Sometimes these are large settlements. You're in the yes. top 
tax yeah. bracket. Yeah. So you really need, and if you notice, if you ever read a settlement, um, that attorney's always going to reference in a letter or in the settlement itself. This document does not address the taxability of the proceeds. Right. You need to, you mm -hmm. know, uh, obtain the advice of a, a tax right. professional to determine mm -hmm. the taxability. Mm -hmm. They're washing their hands. Right. Yes. Because it is complicated. Yes. To know whether yeah. or not it's going to be taxable. So just watch out there. <laughs> <laughs> we don't Word like being the bearers yes. of bad news, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, Kim, what do you, what else do you have for us on tax bloopers? Uh, okay. Well, I, I have uh, had a client call before and they'll say, and, and of course in this market right now, I'm not so sure we'll have this, but just think about this for the future. You know, they said, well, I sold a lot of stock and I've incurred this large gain. But I believe I've got a tax loss carryover. Yeah. <laughs> because people tend not, you know, for federal purposes, if you've sold a stock in previous years and you had a large loss, a loss over $3,000, you are only allowed to um, take up to $3,000 a year mm -hmm. unless you have gains to offset mm -hmm. that loss. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So apparently these people thought that they had a large tax carryover from a previous year and they had none. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they wouldn't have sold all that stock right. at one time if they would have known that, hey, I'm going to have to pay tax. And if it sent them in a different tax bracket, why don't you talk about how benching those. Yeah, there's tax brackets with capital gains. Um, Of course, it's only three, which yeah. is nice. <laughs> but you, you can have zero percent and majority is at 15 percent, but you also have a 20 percent. So. Anytime your income's getting close to like $450,000, you can get up to that 20% capital gain tax bracket. So you want to try to avoid that if yeah. possible because, you know, 15% is preferential. So if you can, you know, sell some at the end of the year and then wait until the first of the next year to sell the rest to maintain keeping at the 15% tax bracket you want to. You want to try, if you can control it, you want to um, tax plan and make sure you're getting the preferential rate and not getting bumped up to that kind of goes back to your um higher rate ira person right mm -hmm. that took everything out right Plan perhaps it. they could have planned and took it out you know over two years and not bumped up against that highest right rate. Mm -hmm. it's important to tax plan with things like that Okay, this is one of my favorite ones, too. I want to introduce this one, and we're both going to talk about this one because okay. we can, because <laughs> we have tons <laughs> of sure. stories of this one. But We see a lot. We see, yeah, <laughs> we do see a lot. Um, you know, we had Alabama at one, one point had this initiative where they were trying to get individuals who were, and this was prior to the time which uh, Amazon and other uh, high-profile high profile retailers were selling, were collecting sales tax mm -hmm. on purchases. And so Alabama has a line on the individual income tax return that says, have you made purchases not subject to sales tax during the past mm -hmm. year? If so, how much? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we learned <laughs> very quickly that you probably should put a dollar there, even if right. $10 mm -hmm. there, you know, yeah. at the most. And, and, and then what that line does is it calculates 4% of whatever you put on that right. line. Mm -hmm. So it was worth a dollar to us not to get these notices in the mail. 
uh, I remember there was one client who received that notice and they lived in a, a rural area of the state. Mm-hmm. And so they received the notice and the notice kind of went in to say, we noticed that you didn't put anything on this line. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had any purchases over that were not subject to sales tax, i.e. internet purchases, mm-hmm. please report them on page two mm-hmm. and send this back. And it had a little calculation of how much you would owe on it. Mm-hmm. And that client called down to Montgomery and said, well, there's no way I can figure how much internet purchase. I buy everything off the internet, probably thousands a day. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, uh, you did what? You did just you incriminated tell them your yourself. Name? Yeah. yeah. And, but I think that person had the wherewithal to think, maybe this is not a good idea. It hung up. Yeah. Right. Right. Thank goodness. Yes. Um, so when you get a tax notice, it's always a good idea to let your tax professional look right. at it. Um. And this is going to lead in a little bit. Uh, you also don't want to, you know, taxing authorities are never going to send you an email. Right. And they're never going to call you on the phone and ask for your social security number. Right. Or ask you to verify items on your tax return to them. Right. I mean, they're all just phishing scams. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Be very careful. And they're not going to contact you through social media. No. And, um... Like we said on the last one, there's no sheriff coming to your house. (laughs) Unless you, maybe the FBI, if you're like really committed some tax fraud or something. But um, yes, they're going to contact you via a notice, a letter. And then to talk to them, you're going to have to call them and stay on the phone for a very long time until an agent is available to talk to you. So often it's, you usually want to have a tax professional handle those notices. And don't, definitely don't call, definitely you have to be careful what information you give them. You don't want to incriminate That's yourself. Right. I mean, we want to have the facts and we want to present them, but, you know, we're pretty good at that. <laughs> you know? That's what we yeah. did. Yeah. Yes. You know, my mom, she was, I think we may have said this on a podcast. I'm, I can't believe that I'm already retelling stories on our podcast, but she had uh, someone call her and was it was an IRS vision. Mm-hmm. And I'd already warned her, you know, I told right. her, like, look, mama, you know. If the IRS starts calling you, you know, just right. tell them my, my daughter's a CPA and you're not real. Yeah. And that's exactly what she did. Right. Yes. <laughs> and it's important if you have people that could, you know, be gullible or something, you know, whether because they can be calling your kids. Your kid has a cell phone. That's they could right. be calling your kids. They could be calling your parents that may be having memory issues or right. things like that. Um, so you want to go ahead and let people in your life know that. They're tax scams, and they're not going to call you. Um, I think the sheriff coming to your house is the <laughs> most. Um, but states also have very – Florida has one that seems very real, and I actually responded to it. Well, it was like my first year, and then I log into Florida Department of Revenue, and it's like, watch out for this scam. And I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it it when turned out, out okay. You can always call the right. department and ask. You know, I've had people uh, – there are agents that will stop by businesses and leave a business card. And I've had them ask, you know, is that real? And I, yeah. my thought is always just call, turn around and call the number while they're standing there right. and get, you know, or call the, pull up the Department of Revenue and call them and ask them if this is real. Right. And yeah. that's usually like a local yeah. sales tax or yeah. business license, something coming. It's not the IRS for sure. Yes. You have to watch out for that. Any other client? bloopers you can think of or client disasters that are avoidable avoidable for clients um not well one is 
the late filing penalty. Oh, okay, yeah, let's talk about which we we always those. try to get our clients to file timely, and that's important because you know maybe you're waiting on a tax document. Of course, we get an extension. Um, you know, it's due in April. We can get an extension, or if you're a business, you're due in March, and we can get a six month extension. Um, but sometimes we don't have the information we need. So, but it's, it's important to estimate it, like whatever it was last year. And file because the late filing penalty is 20%. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I have a recent client that was, they're new to me, and they weren't filing their payroll tax forms online. And they're a little bit behind in their payroll taxes, which the IRS is pretty lenient about um, letting you have some time to pay those. But the automatic filing late was 20%, you know, and sometimes you owe if you owe a hundred grand, that's a twenty thousand yeah, dollar penalty. Yeah. So don't file late. Do everything you can to file on time, even if you don't have the funds, because usually the IRS will work with you with an installment agreement or something like that to to get caught up. Yeah, just file. Don't ignore it. Yes. Don't the more miss you the ignore filing. it, the more costly it is. And I wanted to mention, you know, the filing late does not mean you have a timely filed extension, which in a timely filed extension is not available for sales tax, monthly sales tax, right. and for quarterly payroll tax returns. Right. But a but an income tax return is considered timely filed if you have an extension executed by the, the due date mm -hmm. of the return. The original due date. Yeah, yeah. That's not filing late. Right. Mm -hmm. And it does not promote a red flag. It does not mean you're going to get a red flag if you file mm -hmm. an extension. Hey, in this day and age, when brokerage accounts are amended two and three times a year. Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with an extension. Right. Oh, they're our best friends. <laughs> we love extensions. Yeah. We actually don't. But I mean, in some some instances, I mean, there's no shame in an extension right. game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is not. Some people think it's an IRS red flag, but it's not a it's red not. flag at all. No, mm -hmm. no. I don't know how that rumor got started. I don't either. <laughs> Somebody said it. Yeah. <laughs> it from, is. Uh, from the beginning of the podcast. Yes. Well, I hope y'all have enjoyed today. Yeah, we have. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Um, and we hope that this kind of helps you uh, avoid some tax disasters or some or not to make a blooper. Yes. Um, we appreciate you listening to the JMF Advisor Show, and we hope that you like and subscribe to it on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yes. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. If you would like us to help your business or would like to suggest additional podcast topics, simply send an email to info at jmf.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube and your favorite audio podcast apps.